Welcome to Bookworms. I'm your host, Joe, and today we have a bonus episode. So instead of Alex being here, we have the wonderful Becky returning. Today she's going to talk to us about genres. So, why are you laughing at me? Why did you call it genres? Like its name is John. It's Jean. Jean. It's French. Do I look French? No comment. No comment whatsoever there. <laughs> Anyways, we won't get too much into the, the weeds right now, and we'll just get right into it. So here is Becky. Genre. Say it with me. Genre. Oh, my. I don't <laughs> like him. Why is he here? <laughs> okay, so everyone seems to have their own personal favorite genre to read. And once you seem to find it, you, it's hard to explore elsewhere. It feels uncomfortable. It gives people anxiety. What's yours? What is your favorite genre? Fantasy, science fiction, that kind of stuff. Why? What about it tickles your titillates, whatever it's called? <laughs> well, just the imagination, the uh, magic, the, the futuristic side of things, all that sort of stuff, the world building. So it's not the computer animated ladies with the buxom bosoms. That's more your thing. <laughs> Whatever. Oh my god. <laughs> he has two. He has two genres. All I've ever known him to read. He gets very upset when I'm like, you should read this book. And there's no dragon or sci-fi thing happening. He needs to open his reading catalog a little bit, I feel. I read plenty of other stuff. Thank you very much. I am even reading a lot of nonfiction lately. Yes, nonfiction. Wow. Well, nonfiction is one of the over 50 genre types that there are. Did you know there are over 50 genre types? He's opening a Klondike bar. So I just want to point this out right now. So what would you do for a Klondike bar if it's murdering Joe? That's fine. I might do it too. That's what the crinkling in the background is. So that means he's also not going to interact with me, asshat. And I apologize if you hear the tromping or smacking in the background. So so you didn't know he's shaking his head that there were over 50 genres. Is that right? Okay, he's saying yes. Cool, 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 cool. And there's tons of sub-genres within that, from anywhere to 107 to 16,000, depending on where you're looking. Amazon is half that problem. Amazon is very niche, apparently, because they sell to everybody all across the globe. <laughs> I kind of whittled it down. I don't think I got all 50 major ones, but I did get quite a few and some examples. And not all of them do I have examples of books, but I have movies because I also really enjoy movies. Joe seems okay with movies. I like movies. You just don't like my movies that I like. I'm giving him a disapproving stare right now. I'm going to start off with your favorite genre, or one of your favorite genres, and that's fantasy. Yay! How do you think it's all tied together? What's tied together? Fantasy. How is it all? How do you think it's all tied together? I don't understand the question. All of the sub-genres of fantasy. Like, what makes a book fantasy? The fantasy. There's a difference because you can have a porn fantasy and that is not fantasy. That's romantic or erotica. There's a difference. 
Why don't you tell me? This is why we can't have nice things. He won't have a conversation with me. Ugh. Anyway, fantasy generally deals with things that include magic or not feasible in reality. Could not become feasible in reality. There's a dragon around there lurking somewhere. Or there's a talking dog. And there's no way for the dog to talk. It's not like it has a special collar. Like that TV show from the 90s. Like on SeaWorld. No, it wasn't called SeaWorld. SeaQuest. There we go. Where they had a talking dolphin. He's just staring at me now. It's fine. But split into many different ones. Like their fantasy. Which is gloomy, world building, a brooding tone. Coraline is one of these. We, you, read it to one of the kids and then watched the movie with them. How'd that go? How was that? Amazing. She still refuses to watch it with me, but we got the uh, younger one now listening to the story <laughs> and we'll be watching it again soon. <laughs> I had students watch Coraline and they were amazed. The kids also sometimes call me, my kids, the ones that I birth, um, they call me the other mother or mother Gothel. So I'm doing really well there. Speaking of Mother Gothel, fairy tales obviously fall under that fantasy genre, not genre. It's going to be a running thing this whole episode. Sorry. Can you live with that? Maybe I'll just get more obnoxious with it as it goes on, too. That's going to be your uh, method for your whole podcast of making fun of me. Someone has to do it. Take you down a peg. And then... Low fantasy. So low fantasy is basically just about talking animals and objects. I would guess that Beauty and the Beast would somehow be a mixture of fairy tales and low fantasy because they have talking teacups and talking candlesticks and talking feather dusters. And that's really uncomfortable in the movies. Like, why is she the one that's sexualized? Anyway, moving on from that. (laughs) I have a question for you. Why is fairy tales put into fantasy i always thought it was kind of its own category because it was just more folklore i'm guessing because some of the magical aspects of it like in beauty and the beast the guy is turned into a beast based on a magic curse right and then snow white the magical poisoned apple makes her fall asleep somehow sleeping beauty is put to sleep for a hundred years We'll get to a book about Sleeping Beauty in erotica. That was uncomfortable to read. But, you know, it's it's listed under fantasy. And I guess even in my classroom, I have fairy tale books listed under the sci-fi fantasy genre sticker. Do you put mythology under that also? I do. Because mythology is supposedly a subgenre of fantasy. Do you put religion under fantasy? What kind of, is it like the Da Vinci Code? Like the Da Vinci Code or the Bible, the Quran, the Torah? If it's something like the Da Vinci Code, yes, that's fiction. And that's actually more of a mystery. And we'll get into those a little bit later. But otherwise, I actually don't have a copy of the Bible, the Quran, or the Torah in my classroom. Because I don't want to have to figure that one out. Because there are some people that are like, it is a work of fiction. And then there are the people that are like, but my savior, my whatever, my deity in the sky, it is not a fiction book. I don't want to get into that. Nope. Mm-mm. People be cray cray about religion. So, but good omens, 
is considered low fantasy, going back to the topic at hand, which is kind of surprising for me. Why was Good Omens put in low fantasy? I would have thought that would have been more urban or modern fantasy. I couldn't figure it out. And wherever I was looking didn't help me any. So I don't know if it's, I really don't know. But it was a very interesting contrast between Good Omens and then Indian in the Cupboard, which was a book and then it became a movie. A horrible movie because we don't use the word Indian anymore, right? And it was just a weird movie as it was. And book, it was a weird book. I didn't even enjoy it as a kid. But I guess low fantasy are sort of like the the cheesy ones, maybe we could say. I'd hardly say that Good Omens is cheesy. Funny, yes. Cheesy, not so much. Amazing, definitely. I don't know. It's pretty cheesy. Like You never should send a male demon to do a woman's job. Those babies wouldn't have gotten switched. <laughs> He's just shaking his head at me. We have historical fantasy which is something like a great and terrible beauty and we have urban fantasy which would be something like american gods and mythic the lightning thief so some of these can actually sort of flow throughout so the lightning thief takes place in new york city for the most part or a camp i guess near new york city like if it's within an hour it's probably a suburb so i count it i'm gonna get yelled at it's not And then there's high fantasy, which is a totally fictional world with background. So think about um, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Those are high fantasy. I don't like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings because I don't care if Bilbo Baggins is 111 years old. I don't care. And we spend the first 60 pages of The Lord of the Rings talking about his birthday. He was staring. You have nothing to say? Nothing to. Nope. No? Nope. Okay. I'm good. He's not eating his ice cream, by the way. Your second one that you mentioned was science fiction, and it's trying to predict the future of the human race. There's a preoccupation with real or real-feeling science. It's not always a hard science. Sometimes it's soft sciences like sociology and psychology, which I know some people are like, those aren't science. Bones from one of the greatest TV shows ever would be like, that's not a science. <laughs> I'm still being looked upon like I'm a weirdo. So we have colonization science fiction where it's humans have to live elsewhere. Like we something got really messed up and we need to go leave. We have to go peace out. Apocalyptic is something that takes place right after a disaster. I am legend is an example of that. And there's that new show on is it hbo with bella what's her name and pedro pascal it's like a fungus takes over everything that would be an apocalyptic and then we have a space opera which is action against outer space actions in outer space there's (laughs) there's there's this massive one that i was forced to read and then i watched the movie the newest version, not the old version of the movie, not Dune. Why do you think it's a space opera? Because of the scope of everything. Just everything's larger than life. Is that what you think of when you think of um, an opera, though? Larger than life? I think of the uh, the way that they act, sing, and all that stuff. It's over the top and larger than life. The costumes are often 
over the top. Would Star Wars be a space opera? It is. <laughs> it is. Well, got you on that one. I Firefly. Yep. Has to have space and cowboys. Steampunk. Um, Steampunk was a little bit more difficult to find, but there was one. There was a children's series called Mortal Engines. There was a movie made of the first book, and it did not do well because it was bad. It was so bad. It was awful. We don't talk about it. It's kind of like Bruno. We don't talk about him either. Soft science fiction focuses less on the how parts of science. So in Dune, there's a lot of explanation about how they get the spice and where the spice came from. And honestly, I also didn't care about the spice by the time I got to like page 100. I was like, oh my gosh, is this over yet? He's glaring at me. I'm like, how could that be? It's my favorite book in the whole world. Um, We have mind transfers, putting our minds elsewhere. And there's this young adult book that's called Feed. I forget who it's by. His last name is Anderson, though. And it's not exactly a mind transfer, but there's a chip in everyone's head. And it tells them what to think, which is bizarre. But it's kind of of where we're headed, right? Like, people are starting to put chips in their dogs to find them. We have air tags so we can find our random kids. If our kids ever get taken, they'll be brought back within an hour easily because nobody wants those chaotic chaotic children but we love them why are mind transfers big do you think what do you mean why are they big why is that a big thing transfer our mind elsewhere the thought of immortality a lot of times they're transferring it into either a newer younger version of your body or a different younger body or into a computer so that you can just keep living forever. I don't want to live forever. That sounds like a lot of work. Can you imagine all the stuff you'd have to remember? And like, what if your favorite piece of music is on, it's on an eight track tape or a CD. And then the technology goes away and you can never hear it again. What if you're like a 12th century vampire or something and you loved whatever music that was played? That was probably religious because that's all they had. I don't know. I'm not a historian. But now you can't listen to it. That would be awful. Well, that's kind of part of the whole questioning of immortality, isn't it? In a lot of these science fiction and fantasy books, how do they cope when they have losses of some sort or whatnot? Another thing is, for science fiction, is how much information can the brain actually hold? You know, so... If you live to be 3,000, how much have you forgotten in those 3,000 years versus remember? It's an existential question, and it makes my brain fuzzy. Parallel worlds, multiple universes, a.k.a. whatever Marvel is doing now, where people died and then came back, and then they died again, or then they came back, and sort of like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer, supernatural sort of thing, where they die and they don't stay dead. They pop out of the ground like daisies. But it's from a different universe. Just kidding. I'm here. We have military science fiction where armed conflict between groups and interstellar or interplanetary. Like Lilo and Stitch. The only reason the Earth survives is because we're apparently the only place in the galaxy, in the universe that has mosquitoes. And someone convinced the galactic people that mosquitoes were very important. And then, yeah. So an offshoot of that, and there's debate, there's debate, there's serious controversy here, 
is dystopian and utopian a subgenre of science fiction or its own thing? Especially in the last, you know, 15, 20 years where dystopian literature for young adults has just taken off. I'm still befuddled by the fact that the woman who wrote The Hunger Games also wrote the bear cartoon that I watched as a kid. That was very just polite and the bear just did everything nicely. I don't understand. Brains are weird. But utopians are definitely bleak and scary. They're grim societies, usually in the aftermath of a disaster, and they have oppressive governments. They tend to be misogynistic, let's just face it, because men are sometimes dicks. Sorry, they are. What was it, The Book of Eli? That movie with um, Denzel Washington? And was it Mila Kunis? Why are you just shrugging your shoulders? Why do you not know these things? I don't do names very well. Not the only thing he doesn't do very well. Like. Like what? <laughs> doing his laundry. It stacks up till it's almost as tall as me. It gets taller than our oldest child. Anyway, back to dystopian. There's usually crazy technology like Black Mirror level where Black Mirror had that one episode with the dog robot thing. And then where did it come from? Boston University or Boston College or MIT, one of those places out in Boston, Boston, however it said, actually created one or has one. Why the hell would you do that? Did you not watch the episode? Did you not see it? No, no, thank you. Um, There's environmental ruin or conflict has been introduced into a perfect world. So some of these things would be like the giver, by Lois Lowry. Like it's this perfect utopian society. And then they give Jonas the job of being the giver. And he's like, fuck that noise. That is ridiculous. I'm 12. I don't understand. And tell me more. That's a line from Greece. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell you more. I don't understand. I guess I didn't know why you put the microphone in my face. So we could have a conversation, but if you don't want to, I'll move on. It's fine. Next genre is adventure and action. The hero's journey arc and there's fingers in many pies. Action and adventure can be found throughout almost every genre. The Hobbit has it, right? Mm -hmm. The Lightning Thief has it, right? Because you go through the circle, the hero's journey, The best movie for it, and I will fight anyone on this, is The Emperor's New Groove. I don't care. I will fight people. Don't stare at me like that. You don't have an opinion right now. Oh, but you reach for the microphone. I would have thought you would have said Star Wars is the best adventure. They're both owned by Disney now. Does it matter? (laughs) No, The Emperor's New Groove is the best. Also because the Llama King person, the Emperor is a wonderful, wonderful idiot. And Yzma, the bad guy, is perfect. And Kronk is hilarious. Mystery. AKA detective fiction. There's cozy, hard-boiled, something in between. Usually something has to be solved by the protagonist. Detectives are different from police procedurals because they have no ties to the actual police department. Like Nancy Drew in the Hardy Boys. Those tend to be the detective types and then we have cozy there's not a lot of grim and gory detail they're small town settings i read a series and i loved it it was oh gosh 
One of them was called Homicide in Halo Halo. I hope I pronounced that right. Maybe it's Halo Halo, but it's a book of or a series of three, and they're just cozy. They're fun. Like yes, people die, but it's not like they're talking about the fact that you can see their insides and what their insides look like and whatnot. Caper. <laughs> My favorite cozy are the Death on Demand series by Carolyn Hart. I think you'd like them. You should give it a try. It's the Suki Smokehouse or Smokestack, right? Those are not the Suki books. Which one are the Suki books? That's uh, the, the fantasy mystery series where she's dating a vampire. And I forget who that's by. Does the vampire sparkle? Thankfully, no. And they do get kind of gritty by the end of the series. If you say so. Papers <laughs> are lighthearted and funny. Um, we have our procedurals, our hard-boiled ones, which are graphic, like super graphic. They might, you know, really explain what those intestines looked like, felt like, smelled like, really getting in there. Blech. Don't need that in our lives. Um, there's supernatural mysteries. It's a logical solution, but not always. Supernatural occurrence happens. And then there's the whodunit, where you immediately know who did it and how it happened is what you try and figure out. So Agatha Christie books would probably be the best example there. He's just staring at me. Not even like I'm an amazing person, just like Bleh. horror was invented in 1765 by Horace Walpole. Did you know that? I did not. Fun fact for you. Sure. Asset. It's united by feelings more than anything. So fantasy, like all, has magic and dragons and whatnot but horror is just the feeling that's elicited from inside the reader and do you know who wrote the first vampire story i do not i want to say it's bram stoker but i imagine that that is wrong i do know that vampires are in every culture going way back in the days uh the irish had them the chinese had them so it's who knows who really wrote the first one but i know bram stoker is the one that made them super famous that is right However, there was this guy named John Polidori who really liked Lord Byron, who was a dick, but he wrote what might be considered the first modern vampire story back in 1816. A volcano had erupted the year before and covered the planet in ash, and so the summer of 1816 was super cold and didn't really exist. And him and Lord Byron and Mary Shelley and I think Percy Shelley all hold up in a place near the Mediterranean or somewhere in Italy and had little stories. Like they had a game, whoever could write the best story. And Frankenstein was actually written during that time or the beginnings of Frankenstein. But John Polidori wrote the vampire and he spelled it like how that first book in Buffy, the vampire slayer spelled with a Y. Instead of <laughs> I thought that was kind of a fun homage. Once I realized that. And the vampire in the story is also loosely based on Lord Byron, because I guess he was a pale-ass motherfucker. <laughs> he was just a general dick, Lord Byron. What's <laughs> wrong with being pale? Are you pale? Am I a dick, too? No comment. And I learned that from the Noble Blood podcast. All right. <laughs> no. Well, we all can be a little dickish, but I guess Lord Byron like went out of his way to be one. And he's immortalized in the vampire. 
by John Polidori. So there you go. Um, there's body horror, which is violent and graphic. There's Lovecraftian, where superior beings once ruled our world, then peaced out, and we're like, oh, we're back from outer space. Kind of weird, fun. Parent slasher, psychological. Psychological is probably my favorite horror. Something along the lines of Silence of the Lambs, um, where it's not it's not exactly gory. There's gore, but it's more just like what's going on in everyone's head kind of stuff. Moving on. There's quiet horror, which is up to the reader's imagination. It uses atmosphere and mood for tone. And I think that would be really hard for me because I don't see pictures in We've had this discussion before. She thinks she's a freak, even though I keep trying to explain to her that this is a normal thing that a large portion of the human population has this. Basically, you know, when you picture, say, a fire hydrant in your head, you can see a fire hydrant. Becky can describe it, but does not see it. That is right. I have no mental flashcard in my brain that's a fire hydrant. <laughs> so quiet horror movies, or quiet horror movies in general, I don't like. But quiet horror books probably would not work very well for me because I would not be able to necessarily see it. And then we also have gothic subgenre horror, which is a battle between humanity and an unnatural force of evil. Dun, dun, dun. Thrill and suspense are different because they use more psychological fear for suspense than the action of horrible things happening. You have protagonist who is trying to save their own life instead of solve a crime so it also differentiates it between a mystery book and there's all sorts of different ones right there's action adventure where they focus on the need to struggle through life and there's a changing journey there's conspiracy facing a powerful organization hashtag hydra no maybe i don't know he's just nodding he's just letting me ramble it's fun there's disaster, which is the racing it's time to stop whatever disaster. Here's where our religious thing comes in, like the Da Vinci Code. And, I mean, religion can probably be placed anywhere as any sort of backdrop. There's legal thrillers, there's paranormal, psychological, forensics, and espionage. Probably James Bond stuff would hang out here. A little bit of thriller, a little bit of mystery mixed together. We have historical, which takes place in ye olden days, even though we really shouldn't be saying ye. The um, Y type set is actually supposed to have a th sound. So they really did say the olden days or the olden days. There you go. Linguistics fact for you today. <laughs> Usually it takes real events and gives them a fictional twist. There's mystery, there's romance, there's thrillers. Yeah. Speaking of romance. Romance is the next genre. My brain is slowly being defiled because I'm in a smut book group. <laughs> We're reading a lot of, oh my goodness. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we'll probably have a whole podcast if people enjoy this one just on what she's reading in the smut pod, you know, smut group. So stay tuned. No. We um, finished a one well, that's probably called, that would probably be an erotic one about Sleeping Beauty. And it was by Anne Rice, but she used a pseudonym because it's erotic. Oh my gosh, there's scrotum clamps everywhere. I can't, I can never unread that. But erotic stories are as the relationship is formed through sex. And in this particular book, they were trying to teach people in power 
to not be beholden to their base instincts. And so constantly having this degradation and constantly like putting them through these like sexual practices. So like they constantly wore scrotum clamps or boob clamps, but, and they were naked all the time and they ran naked and they, yeah, it was, nope, not for me. It's for you. That's awesome. Not for me. Um, contemporary is modern day romance. That's probably my favorite. I'm reading this series by Olivia Dade, which is about fat people finding love and being romantic. And it's just sort of so wholesome. I mean, the sex is really good too, but it's wholesome. There are no scrotum clamps. Insight. Gothic usually romances usually have women overcoming crazy obstacles to be with their love and there's secrets and there's mysteries. Paranormal is a normal romance, but there's ghosties involved somehow. And then suspense blends those thriller suspense, historical romance, and then Regency. We're having a Regency renaissance um, thanks to Bridgerton. And there's a whole bunch of other books about that time period. I don't know why that period is what everyone's like, swoon over. I mean, the Tudors. I think corsets and Outlander and all that sort of stuff. Right. But the Tudors had corsets too. Is it really just because of the boobs and the fact that the boobs were like falling out of the dresses and somehow that was okay, but you couldn't walk down the street with your bow by yourself. I think so. I think that's just, I think it's the, yeah, that high class society that people always go nutty about. Just kind of like people go nutty about Kardashians these days. Ew. Not them. But the Tudors. Like, why not the Tudors? They were high class. Well, I mean, Henry was kind of a dick. But, you know, what happens when you're king and somebody's like, you have been chosen by God. I mean, they kind of hit that last decade, didn't they? Pretty hard early on. The, and they had the whole Tudors TV show, didn't they? Go on. Yeah, I wouldn't call the Tudors. <laughs> I wouldn't call the Tudors TV show romantic. Was there sex? Yes. Was Henry Cavill in it? Yes. Did you see his bare butt? Yes. It sounds very romantic to me. For you know, red in the face and a little, little, little uh, warm there, a little sweaty. You. I hope you block that part out because that's disgusting. Nobody needs to know that thing that happened. Another genre is what's called women's literature. And I honestly didn't know that this was actually a thing. It's targeted to female identifying audiences and it shares, it, it, it reflects our shared experiences. And it's kind of a controversial thing because there is a group of the population that's like, why do we need women's literature? Anything to say about that? It's not a trap. I guess. I mean, I see why it's needed. I guess I don't see why it needs its own genre. I mean, if you had a male literature genre, people would be getting all uppity about that too, wouldn't they? Isn't that just what we call literature, though? Maybe 50, 100 years ago, but I don't think that's necessarily true in modern times. What kind of stories would go into men's literature? The Hobbit. How is that a man's story? <laughs> what the fuck? How is that a man's story? A bunch of dudes go on adventuring? The actual fuck. What? <laughs> Just because it's about dudes or beings that identify as dudes doesn't mean it should be men's literature. 
But isn't that what you just said women's literature is? Is, you know, women doing awesome, crazy things? And no. It says shared experiences. So I'm going to guess more female identifying shared experiences. So, well, yes, female identifying people go on adventures too. There's a group of females who, you know, we bleed every month. That's something that men cannot exactly experience with us. Although those videos on like TikTok and YouTube where they put the period cramp vests around bellies is hilarious. There was one somewhere up in Canada and the lady who was doing it to the police officer just kept going, I'm so sorry, but you volunteered for this. It's awesome. And the police officer was like, moving on, moving on. But then, so if there should be a men's and a women is LGBTQ plus a reasonable genre to have. I guess I don't carry it away. I mean, if they want their genre, they can have their genre. But isn't it nice for people who identify within that community to have their shared experiences all sort of in a section of the bookstore? They can go directly to that section and find stories about what it's like to come out to asshole parents, right? Or what it's like to be out and to have to get a job with an asshole boss. He's just like, I don't know. It's a trap. It's not a trap. This is okay. Darth Vader. I don't know. I think it's I think it's really good. I've seen a lot of students gravitate towards books that feature LGBTQ plus characters. Um, one of them is called The Symptoms of Being Human, and we never know what gender Riley is in the book, and it really doesn't matter. Atrocious things happen to Riley, and I don't know. I think the shared experiences of what people go through for being different is really important, especially to young people. Fuck Florida for trying to get rid of the books. Yeah, I don't want people to think that I'm being... You know, the asshole Floridian here that's <laughs> saying, let's get rid of these books or these genres. I, I think they are mostly good books, mostly needed genres. I just, I guess, yeah, I grew up in a time when it was you know, sci-fi, fantasy, fiction, nonfiction, the war section, and the, 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 the bookstore. So I was just like, why do we need all these new, new areas that I don't visit in? Step outside your comfort zone, visit a different genre in the bookstore. It's going to be okay. I promise. I promise. It's going to be okay. Go visit the contemporary fiction section because that's the next one. Contemporary fiction is all about things that are happening today. So like Little Fires Everywhere, which was a book, and then it became a TV show. And I feel that's relatable for a lot of people because the wife in that book is psychotic. She has things planned down to even like when she when they can have sex. And if it's midnight, it's like from Tuesday. It's on Tuesdays from like five to midnight. And if it rolls over to midnight, that's it. The husband is out. And Joshua Jackson plays that perfectly because he rolls over, sees what time it is as she's yapping away. And he's like, it's anyway. Then we have literary fiction, which seems to be highbrow. In a way, it really kind of reminds me of that scene in Mona Lisa Smile when Julia Roberts is asking her art history class, who decides what literature is? And Kirsten Dunst is like, 
it has to have color and composition and all these other things. As you know, Julia Roberts' character has a picture of a cow that she painted her mom. And Kirsten Dunst's character is just ripping it apart. And then she, then Julia Roberts is like, that's a cow I drew from my mummy. And everyone's like, oh. So just how are all these things created? Like, that's a question I have. How do we decide? How did we decide also what books belonged in the quote unquote canon? That's not really a question for you. But do you want to answer that? I was going to say uh, Disney decided which books, Star Wars books are in the canon, which is none of them. And we bring them to Star Wars. Oh, ah. Uh, magical realism is the real world setting with regular people that odd things happen to. Graphic novels are defined more by their form and not necessarily by the context or the content of what's inside them. Because you can have an autobiographical graphic novel. You can have a fairy tale graphic novel. You can have Firefly graphic novels. They're powerful and yeah. Short stories are shorter than novels. And then we come to young adult. Young adult can encompass all of these things. It's just that the story itself is focused on people who are 12 to 18 years old. And it reflects the experiences of teens. So the loss of innocence and entering adulthood and shifting identity and parents being assholes and teachers being assholes. Just the world being against them because, you know, they're angsty little people who are like, I'm a middle school teacher. I had experience in this. (laughs) um there's new adult which is coming of age once you reach adulthood and children's books are written for those under 12 and they're usually less than 50,000 words so that rounds out fiction we're gonna head into nonfiction. do you have a genre in nonfiction that you gear toward that you're geared towards see i've delved into a lot of environmental stuff because that's kind of my my thing outside of podcasting I do a lot of, not so much a lot of anymore, but I did a bunch of memoirs for a while. Those were a lot of fun. A lot of just history books. History is fascinating. We have memoir and autobiography. They're a true account of the author's life. Right now there's a memoir out there. I forget who it's by, but it's something like, I'm so glad my mom died. And there are people who are just appalled that this person, she was a child star, it's like, yeah, my mom is dead. And then you read the book and it's like, oh, yeah, that might be, that might be understandable. Yep. yep. But when it first came out, people were just, how could you say that? Clutching their pearls and. Probably my favorite memoir is Moab is my washpot by Stephen Fry. It is hilarious. It says, uh. First of three is probably the, the best one. It's his uh, younger days as uh, going through grade school or whatever they call it in England and him discovering his sexuality and talking about him kind of starting his fascination with drugs because he is a recovered cocaine addict and he puts it back to his uh, sugar addict self as a child. So that's very, very fun. A lot, a lot of good jokes in there, a lot real funny. Not, not like yours there. I didn't say that was my favorite. I just said that was a recent one. I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite. I guess one that I really, well, they have two maybe. One is called Swimming to Antarctica. And it's this woman who swam to Antarctica. But growing up, she did lots of swimming and she was really fast. And she swam in all sorts of oceans. She just swam in the Atlantic. She did the English Channel. 
and she did around the Horn of Africa. And they put probes in her. And that just, how do you swim with that, like, up your butt? I don't understand. There's only one way to do that. <laughs> she swam um, down in the Strait of Magellan. That's the one at the bottom of South America, right? I think so. Or no. Yes. Maybe it was the, well, the bottom of Africa and the bottom of South America. I forget what those are actually called. The Horn of Africa is farther north. I'm extremely silly. But then she also swam from Alaska to Russia, those two islands that are only like three miles apart. And she asked for a babushka, which I guess in Russian does not mean hair cover. It means grandmother, which is fun to know because growing up, a babushka to me was a hair covering that <laughs> one needed to go out. That many grandmothers would wear back in the day when we were young. Maybe. My grandma didn't. Neither of them did. Well, your one grandmother was always chasing after sailors, so. She nailed one, though. So, I mean, she was doing something, right? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Biography is a true account of someone else's life. Oh, wait, sorry. My other book I was going to talk about, I don't know if it would be a memoir, exactly. Could it be a biography? Um, no, because it's, it's written by the person. But it's called Scent of the Missing, and it's about this woman who trains cadaver dogs. Um, she actually helped on the Columbia, when the Columbia blew up in 2003 um, and how they had to go down to Texas and find pieces. And it's, it was really interesting just to think about all the planning that goes into breeding the dog, buy, like buying the dog and training the dog and all the steps the dog has to go through in order to become certified. Biography though would be somebody else writing that story about her or somebody writing a story about me and my life. And my grandmother, who nailed a sailor. There's food and drink books. <laughs> There's food and drink books. Tons of food and drink books out there. There's anything. There's books about sushi. And there's books about whiskey. And there's books about how to create historically accurate food. And oh my god, that just sounds bleh. So much butter in some of these books, too. No, thank you. There's art and photography books. There's self-help books. Um, we have history and travel and true crime, which chronicles real crime, and that seems to have exploded. And yeah, why do you think that's the genre that's like poofing everywhere? Because women love a good serial killer. On a scale of Ted Bundy to Ed Kemper, where do you land? Probably more Ed Kemper. Freak. Oh my God. Freak. Yo, if my head goes missing, we know what happened. NC seventeen. Well, who is your uh, who's your favorite serial killer? I don't have one. He's I'm not a red flag walking. <laughs> With all the true crime podcasts you've listened to, there's there's one that hasn't like caught your attention. Like, ooh, this is, sounds like fun times. No. And not the, the toy box killer. <gasps> For shame! Yuck! Don't look that episode up on Morbid, everyone, because that's a hard one to listen to i've never been able to look at a medical chair the same way see that that was probably one of the ones i really got me hooked to that show was that that podcast episode that's because you are a red flag giant red flag 
Um, we have humor books. So Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. I tried reading that in an airplane and it didn't go well for me because I tried to cover my laughing. And so it sounded like I was dying because I was snorting like <clears throat> it was funny for me. This says we have how to guides, religion, religion, and spirituality, philosophy, humanities, humanities and social sciences, parenting and families, science and technology. But that doesn't predict the future. It's stuff that's already being produced now or it has been produced. And some of these can intermingle. So I just finished a book called The Violinist's Thumb. And it's about, it's a history book, but it's also a science book. It has, talks about DNA and how parts of our DNA have been left over and why was it left over? Like what purpose did it serve and how do we use it now? And most of the words I understood individually and then they put them in a sentence and I no longer had any idea what was being explained to me at all. (laughs) I also learned that the toxoplasmid whatever parasite that you can get from cat litter is disgusting (laughs) because it apparently like once it gets into the brain will make whoever is infected with it like super excited to smell cat pee and that's just yucky to me and then you have children's nonfiction. poetry can kind of be nonfiction or fiction and then of course satire can Go wherever, like Jonathan Swift's Let's Eat the Babies. Animal Farm from George Orwell. Pretty much everything by Terry Pratchett. Mm, I don't think so. I think he's more, he's probably more like a serious fantasy genre, sci-fi maybe. No, he's if you start digging deeper, here we'll get into this uh, later episode when we cover a book by him coming up, but... When you, when you start digging deeper into his, his books, there's a lot of satire in there. Like the one we're going to cover, Little Hint, will be uh, kind of making fun of the Russian Revolution. I don't know if he'd be, if it, in like a bookstore, it would be listed under satire. That's the thing. You want to put it under that because usually people don't notice that in his stories. It's something you really got to be digging into watching his interview, seeing what the purpose of each story he wrote was about. I think he's calling everyone low class there. He's nodding his head. So that's everything. Well, I was going to ask you about some of your favorite books in any of these genres and then explain like why you think that book in that genre is perfecto. Let's see here now with book that we are not covering this season in the podcast but it is mwah. it would be a name of the wind by patrick rothfuss uh, it's high fantasy i would say it's follows this hero you know he saw in a story of his life before he became an utter failure and it did some really bad shit that we haven't learned about because book three has not yet come out and probably never will but uh, the, the story is just great because the the writing is spot on. It's very lyrical almost, kind of like Shakespeare's plays where they have that cadence. This kind of follows in that, that line, and just the story is beyond epic. Another set of books, uh, which we will be covering one this season, is the uh, Culture Series by Ian and Banks. They're science fiction 
And they're just, they're definitely a, in a space opera. And they're just covering such vast expanses where basically humans or robots live in peace with each other, but they fight all these other alien species and try to, you know, it's almost like just this, this mega utopia, but dystopia and just all the crazy ideas of what human biology and minds are capable of, the good and the bad. And it's just, just again, just covers such large areas and large swaths of psychology, human psychology and technology and all that stuff. You have any books you want to mention, Becky? All the books. All the books. Well, I don't know. I guess an author I really enjoy. She does more contemporary literature is Jodi Picoult. I probably butchered her last name. I'm sorry. I've read almost every single book of hers. And the last one that I read was um, Wish You Were Here, which came out in 2021. And it probably was not the best book to read at the time I read it. I read it in December of that year. And two months prior, my dad had died of COVID and the book is about COVID. And um, this woman and her fiance are supposed to go to the Galapagos Islands and COVID hits and the fiance is like, go, I have to stay here. And so she goes to the Galapagos. She has this extraordinary life there. Like she hooks up with this man in the Galapagos and she becomes really good friends with his kid and it's really sweet. And then you get pulled out of that and come and come to find out, spoiler, that she never actually went. Instead, she got COVID and has been in the hospital. I guess people who were ventilated and who survived to tell the tale would talk about these other lived experiences that didn't actually happen. And so it was just, it was caused a lot of existential thoughts in my head because I was like, fuck, you know, what, what did my dad think of? Like once he got ventilated, like what was he thinking of? Um, he really liked cars and, you know, was he, did he think about his kids and his grandkids and his, my mom and his ex-wife, his brother, his brother died the year before, um, from complications of health stuff. And I don't know. That book has stuck with me. Most of her books stick with me <laughs> for one reason or another. <laughs> another book I've read recently that's also very cheery like that was The Gulag Archipelago by Shulsaniskin, where he's talking about his time in the, uh, the gulags in Russia during the height of the communist era and you know how he ended up winding up there. And it's a... It's a it's fiction, but it's nonfiction because, you know, there's a lot of times where he's saying that this might or might not have happened. Don't know, but this is the way I'm telling it. But a lot of stuff is, did really happen. And just all the, the pravity of humans and just digging deep into human nature. It can be a difficult read, but an interesting read. It's definitely something that most people should probably read eventually. Just to kind of like a lot of those uh, Nazi concentration camp books that you know, weekly read in school and whatnot. This is just another one that should definitely be on people's radar and reading list to see what not to do. Yeah, I read one. It talks a little bit about the gulags and it's called Bloodlands. And so it talked about Ukraine and Russia and what Stalin did in those areas before Nazi Germany was ever like, hey, you want to party? Wanna come and have a, you know, a couple of good 
Molotov cocktails here. And in one part, it said, towards the end, it said Auschwitz wasn't like the end-all be-all of it. It said it was the coda. Like if you thought of the Holocaust as a piece of music, it was the coda. And when we think about the Holocaust, Auschwitz is one of the things that we think about because it's still standing. But there's so many concentration camps that were obliterated that we have very little record of. My students read Night this year, and we had somebody from Keene State come and talk to us who works in the genocide studies place and um, said that they have found evidence of over 42,000 concentration camps in Europe. And Europe's not that big. So, like, what the hell? What the hell? But yeah, I think nonfiction is some big stuff and it hits it explains things so there's a book called her country um about women in country music and i used to be a big country listener my dad listened to country 90s country is something i still listen to i stopped really listening to country around i don't know 2005 2007 somewhere in there because it was all about like hey pretty lady you got a short skirt give me a beer we'll go have sex somewhere like, that's what it was about. It wasn't fun. I mean, granted, you know, Earl having to die wasn't necessarily fun, but it was a good message. Like, don't be a dick, right? <laughs> and it just kind of explained, it gave me a sense of why I stopped listening. And that was good to have because I hadn't really been able to put into words why, why that stopped. I don't know. There's so many books that are fun to talk about. <laughs> Maybe next season you can become a uh, full-time host and join us and have your own picks. What do you think? Mine would definitely be more mainstream. Could you handle that? I'm sorry, but me and Alex are reading some mainstream books. <laughs> I know you don't like to admit it because they're not your mainstream, <laughs> but they are mainstream books. Clockwork Orange is mainstream. <laughs> I do have to read a lot of young adult books, but mostly it's for my job. Like I do have to read the books that they are reading. That's what you just like to say. So you can win the competition without feeling too guilty. Alex can be reading children's books too for his job. And he does. He's not doing very well this year. <laughs> well, at least at the time of this recording, I should say that because who knows he might win. But yeah. Well, thank you for giving us our first bonus episode. you have any last words you would like to say, Becky? I think she is done. So, yeah, this is our first bonus episode. If you liked it, let us know. We do have a uh, Instagram, at Kendall Bookworms. We have an email, kendallbookworms at gmail.com. We are hosted by Podbean, so you can find us on there. We have a little website on that. I'm not sure what the... It is, but yeah, tell us if you like this, these podcasts, tell your friends about it and get our listenership. Great. I guess that's all. Oh, Alex uh, has self-published some books. I know he's not here today, but I'm sure he'll glad be glad for the plugin. Look him up on Amazon.com. He is Alex Kendall. He has uh, about four books out, five books out now, I believe. So definitely give them a check out. Uh, they are not half bad. So, I guess that's all. Bye. Later.